Taking a look at your latest news this hour, Mozambique's Renamo Opposition Party has elected Osufo Momade as its leader ahead of a general election this year. Momade had been acting leader since the death of veteran Afonso Tlakama, who died suddenly last May. Renamo, a political party that retains an armed wing, fought a 16-year civil war against the government until 1992 and clashes erupted again from 2013 to 2016. A party delegate says Momade won with 410 votes at Renamo's National Council compared to 238 for his main rival, Elias Tlakama the former leader's brother. An investigative journalist from Ghana who was involved in exposing corruption in the football industry in Ghana has been killed in the capital Accra. Ahmed Hussein Suley was shot on Wednesday as he drove home. After the investigation into Ghanaian football, a local politician publicly called for retribution against the journalist. The BBC's Thomas Nardi reports. Ahmed Hussein Swali was shot three times last night, twice in the chest and in the neck by unidentified gunmen on a motorbike. His body has since been deposited at the mortuary. Ahmed played a role in the BBC Africa Eyes Malawi Human Harvest investigation and was instrumental in a wide-reaching expose into corruption in Ghana football. In a defiant message posted on social media, investigative journalists said they will not be silenced. Human Rights Watch has slammed the African Union and SADC for their defining silence on Zimbabwe. Hundreds of people have been detained while others have been abducted and disappeared following riots over fuel hugs, which started on Monday. The organization held a press briefing in South Africa, Johannesburg, to launch its World Report 2019. Southern African Director Dewa Mabinga says Zimbabwe is burning. People are locked up in their homes, too afraid to go out. Many are running out of food, and all these are huge uh, challenges. The reason for the protest in the last three days was the huge hike in fuel prices. The government has not addressed that, so there is no solution. Um, uh, a number of um, shops were looted, and shops are not opening. There is no public transport, so things uh, remain quite dire and uh, Human rights abuses could continue. Meanwhile, over 100 people in Zimbabwe have been treated for dog bites and other injuries after violent protests this week. This, according to the Zimbabwe Association of Doctors for Human Rights, scores of civilians, including a prominent activist, Pastor Evan Marire, were detained and charged with inciting violence. Others were reportedly beaten following a heavy crackdown by security forces. Zimbabweans are still angry about the sharp fuel price hikes in the country. The cost is prompting many to cross the border to South Africa to purchase fuel. The uprising poses a major challenge for President Emerson Nanga who is still out of the country. He had promised to revive the economy after taking over from Robert Mugabe in a defunct coup in 2017. And lastly, U.S. Ambassador in Kenya says the United States is working closely with Kenyan authorities following the extremism attack in Nairobi this week. U.S. Ambassador Robert F. Godak in a statement also dismissed false reports on social media that the U.S. knew about the attack in advance and warned Americans to stay away from the Desert D2 complex before it was attacked on Tuesday. A security 
security company confirms that two employees were killed in this week's extremist attack on a luxury hotel complex in Kenya's capital. Channel Africa News, I'm on Elintzinzi. This is Africa Digest. Right, it is 17.05 Central African time. You are listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa. My name is Spumela Lezondi. Let's get to it. Now, South African lawyer advocate Kheri Nell says the delay in prosecuting the suspects linked to the murder of former Rwandan intelligence boss Patrick Karagaya shows there's been a cover-up. Channel Africa spoke to Peter Fabricus, consultant at the Institute for Security Studies. It's not absolutely clear why it's taken the South African government so long to get to the point of an inquest. But what what um, Kerry now representing, he's sort of representing, I said the family, seems to be the family, but kind of indirectly via an NGO called sure. Platform for Rwandan Democracy. The, the reason that he, he puts forward is that there's been a deliberate sort of delay. He says either there's been a political decision not to proceed or else there's just been maybe um, meddling, uh, maybe just sort of incompetence in the, in the National Prosecuting Authority who just don't seem to be able to have got their act together. And so they, you know, they're now kind of making excuses for why it's taken so long. But I mean, what he points out, and, and we, it's hard to establish this for sure, is that he does, he says that the, all the facts that an inquest, a judicial inquest, are supposed to establish have been established, i.e. we know the name of the, the deceased, Patrick Carragher, we know when he died in the Michelangelo Hotel, we know when he died, 31st December 2013, and we, um, he says we have a pretty good idea, as they say in the legal t- terminology, prima facie, who didn't, and he names the four you know, suspects, uh, all Rwandans, who, and he has their passport numbers and so on dates of birth. So he says that the South African government should long ago, back in you know January 2014 already, should have asked uh, Rwanda for cooperation, should have asked for extradition. Uh, it's not absolutely clear to me whether they, they didn't, but he says not. And you know so far we haven't heard the NPA saying the opposite, or maybe they haven't had the opportunity. And so he's saying that there's some decision, he's suggesting that, that maybe there's been some political decision to go ahead. Now what is interesting to me, and I mentioned in that story, is is that in March last year, uh, President Raposa and President Kagame met in Kigali, and 
and uh, and decided, no, listen, it's enough already. We we need to patch up the relations. You know, the relations went pretty sour after the like the third or fourth attempt against um, Kayumba's life, and they kicked out a whole of the Rwandan diplomats. They kicked out even more. So the, the two presidents met in March last year in Kigali, decided to sort things out. Just three months later, we have the deputy head of uh, the NPA in Gauteng uh, deciding that, that um, South Africa wouldn't prosecute, NPA wouldn't prosecute, and therefore an inquest had to be held. Yeah, it's interesting you say that uh, because uh, the timing of uh, the decision to conduct uh, this inquest is seen by uh, officials in Kigali as a ploy by uh, exiled Rwandan groups here in South Africa. Uh, They think uh, the goal of this inquest is to disrupt efforts uh, to repair relations between South Africa and Rwanda. Do you agree, uh, Peter? Yeah, you see, this is the thing. So, <laughs> so in a way, either an inquest or prosecution would would have the potential for for damaging this effort at at reconciliation between Rwanda and South Africa. And it's just a question of which would be which would would, would be would be more likely to do so. And and I guess I guess Harry Harry Nell at least, and to the extent that he's representing the expatriate community, I believe that. Um, that that are, that are going directly to prosecution of these four Rwandan suspects and trying to extradite them because clearly they're all back in Rwanda. That that would be even more embarrassing to the, the Rwandan government. So I don't miss. I, I, I until this this um, application by Harry Nell just came up quite unexpectedly. The at the start of the inquest hearing yesterday, I also wondered about the timing of this. In fact, I've asked. Lindiwa Sasuda, the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, about this before, whether she didn't think this inquest would disturb those. those. And she, she said she thought probably not, but she said in case of the, the, the legal process has its own momentum, it has to go ahead. And so, yeah, I, mean, it's, I don't think the timing is, is really something that the Rwandan community has, has been responsible for. They, they've been pushing for this since 2013, 2014, I should say. Now, according to the state prosecutor, Yusuf Baba, this inquest mm. will involve a testimony uh, from about 30 witnesses and may actually yeah. lead to criminal charges. Uh, do we know if uh, Patrick Karagia's wife, who was also in court yesterday, the day will also be testifying as well at this inquest? Yeah, she is expected to testify. I mean, look, uh, she and other members of the family, potential witnesses, have not told us what they expect to testify, but, but we do believe that she will. She's come out from America, which is where she's living now in the U.S., uh, to, I mean, okay, to observe, but also to testify. And, you know, some of the others, like David Batenga, um, Karagia's nephew, his testimony, I'm, I'm thinking, would probably be even more uh, to the point, because, you know, he was actually here at the time. I don't think Mrs. Carragher was, or I'm not quite sure. I think she might already have left to the, for the U.S. He was here. He knows the guy who's the chief suspect, this guy who's been named now, Apollo, um, who was a friend and, and clearly a trusted friend of Carragher, uh, who seems to have set up this, what you could call an ambush, really, by, by luring him into the um, into the Barclays Hotel, where he was subsequently killed. And and the other witnesses are likely to be members of the staff of the Michelangelo Police Investigating Officers and so on. So, I mean, it, it has the potential to be a, a fairly riveting inquest if it goes ahead. Peter Fabricius is a consultant at the Institute for Security Studies, talking to Kumbero Munjarere.
Now, at 7% uh, GDP growth, Ethiopia will double its economy every 10 years. This is according to Dr. Martin Davis, Managing Director for Emerging Markets and Africa at Deloitte Africa. He was speaking at the Africa Outlook Conference in Johannesburg, South Africa. He says the growth will be driven by investment into fixed infrastructure. The outlook offers a short and medium-term focus on the main socio-economic factors while examining the challenges and progress. Tlantla Mashangu reports. Leading business figures and thought leaders gathered in Johannesburg for the annual Africa Outlook Conference. They were discussing trends and prospects facing countries in 2019. Dr. Martin Davis, Managing Director for Emerging Markets in Africa at Deloitte Africa, says East African growth rates are consistently high with oil prices ticking upwards. It's undoubtedly East Africa by the likes of Ethiopia, nudging 7.5-8% GDP. It's a staggering figure. Rwanda, not too far off. Kenya, perpetually 5-6%. Tanzania growth is high. So we're seeing the bulk of East African economies, arguably Tanzania through to Ethiopia, with real robust growth and low oil prices is certainly a tailwind to growth in East Africa, considering their oil importing nations. So the oil narrative is not an Africa story. It's certainly a West Africa story. What's in the interest to support growth in West Africa, think high oil prices, is uh, there's certainly an entirely different interest in in East Africa, but like South Africa, where low oil prices are deflationary and actually do are almost a tailwind to growth going forward. Dr. Davis says there are many opportunities to kickstart economic growth. So we need to adopt a more granular view of the continent. Of course, the, the big issue is structural reform in Nigeria and South Africa. We're the bookends of sub-Saharan Africa, the two sort of dominant regional economies in our own right. Both of us are facing elections this year. There are 13 general elections across the continent taking place in 2019 is a year of potential political change but despite that it's more about the structural reform that's required uh, control or delete almost or reset carrying through necessary reform and putting both Nigeria and South Africa back on good economic track a 1-2% growth performance respectively for both economies I'm afraid is, is not good enough we need to get back to a 3-4-5% sort of range and that's what I'm hoping that 2019 uh, certainly is, is a year of structural reform laying a foundation for long-term growth. Nabil Lahe, head of international private equity at Old Mutual Alternative Investments, says the impact of technological adoption is having an increasing effect on African economies. In respect of technology for the African continent, I think it's an extremely exciting theme. And what's really driving that is mobile penetration and smartphone penetration. So the average consumer is getting access to the internet and they're able to you know, be part of a, a connected village and a global village and to access resources globally. It's driving the ability of the African consumer to interact with businesses differently compared to your bricks and mortar stores or uh, you know, buying goods and services physically, but rather doing it virtually. So technology is a great opportunity for businesses in Africa to become more technology enabled. So it's using global technology and implementing it in the local landscape uh, and making it applicable to local consumers. I think that's where the, the short-term opportunity is for technology. That was Nabil Lahir, head of international private equity at Old Mutual Alternative Investments, reporting for Channel Africa. I am Tlantlamasangu in Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango.
Channel Africa Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It is 17.16 Central African time right here on Africa Digest. Now, South Africa's freight rail utility, Transnet, says it has lost 1.3 billion rand through corruption and fraud. Chairperson Popo Mulife has told the media in Johannesburg that investigations are ongoing and more people have been suspended. Mulife says uh, summonses have already been issued to some of its top executives implicated in financial mismanagement. Some are still with the organization while others have already left. He has confidence in the new board, which he says has recovered some of the money from the controversial locomotive deal reached with the Guptas. Amina Akram reports. Transnet Chair Popo Molefe spoke confidently about his new board and changes that will be taking place at the state-owned freight and rail company. Molefe says it has not been easy to root out corruption, as some of the people involved were reluctant to release information. He says the company is also reviewing various contracts, including the controversial Gupta-linked locomotive deal. We have recovered some money so far. The money that was paid as an advance payment for the maintenance of the locomotives, it was about 700 million paid. We have recovered 618 million of that. We are still, Mohammed is still negotiating to get back the, the VAT that was paid with that money. We are coordinating our work with all these organs of state, also partly to make sure that we don't duplicate work and spend monies on the lawyers, which could have been done by the SIU or the Hawks. But we also share information with them, and and we think that, uh, therefore, a number of heads are going to roll as a result of the investigations that are taking place. So it's a combination of civil action as well as criminal action. Transnet says it will come back with a more detailed plan on how they will resolve challenges at some of their business units. Acting CEO Tao Morwe says they want to restore integrity and profitability at the organization. Morwe says they have started talking to customers and will address challenges at the Durban port, which is running out of space. The company is also engaging with the private sector to see how they can cooperate. Transnet acknowledged that some assets are not being utilized, such as its 30 billion rand property assets. Morris says this can be turned into a fully-fledged property development company. Strategy that was on paper and what was happening in practice, the two were not talking to. The, the key focus area was to, to go back and uh, put in place um, an operating model for Transnet that is fit for purpose. And that's why I won't call it a new strategy, but rather look at doing things that Transnet uh, is supposed to, uh, to be doing. Molefe says he's confident that the organization is moving in the right direction and that the right people have been appointed. I think the, the attitude we take is that we want to operate P2P. 
purely on a professional basis. We don't want to, to treat everybody as a suspect in the company. Uh, they will reveal themselves as suspect once they begin to drag their feet and they don't want to do the job. But we have here people with extensive experience. We've got more than a thousand engineers in this organization. So we think that among them there are many good men and women who want to serve this country. As a board, we would like to give them the opportunity to prove us wrong. Transnet new board was appointed in May last year. It has since been trying to stabilize the organization and root out corruption. Asked Transnet CEO Siabonga Gama and former CEO Bran Molefe are amongst those who have been issued with summons. The board says its priority is to collect money lost through state capture and other fraudulent activities. Disciplinary hearings for those suspended will start next week. The report is by Amina Akram. Now, with only about a month to the conduct of general elections in Nigeria, politicians and well-meaning Nigerians have been expressing their apprehension about the safety of life and poverty because of the very pronounced activities of political thugs that have taken dozens of lives at campaign grounds around the country. Collins Atohangbe reports that the Nigerian Senate President Bukola Saraki is saying his life is under threat. The effect of the activities of thugs during election has not been measured for scientific purpose, but the record shows that the tales are not sweet to hear and the victims cannot relate their experiences without regrets. As politicians move from community to community in portions of their desire to be given the note to elective offices by the electorate, the apprehension of political office seekers are increasing daily as incidents so far reported shows that the police may not be able to contain the spate of violence or are they also hands and gloves with the thugs to please some political lords? For instance, the president of Nigerian Senate, Bukola Saraki, had to call a press conference to tell the world what he sees as police involvement in the activities of this miscreant and merchant of electoral violence. He urged the international community to hold the police responsible if anything should happen to him in the days ahead. After the APC conducted their campaigns in Elori, some of their supporters and thugs moved around the town where they saw our people gathered whole weekly world meeting. They disrupted the meetings, they fired gunshots into the midst that they were data. As a result of these two people suffered bullet wounds. The same thugs shielded by policemen went into my family quarters in Agbaji Nilori and vandalized houses, shops, inflicted wounds, matched on three people. The gang leaders are well known. I need to make it clear to the entire world that now that we are flagged off the campaign in my state. I am set to participate in grassroots campaigns as I've always done. I want the entire world to hold the IGP responsible if anything unto what happens to me, myself, my family in these days ahead. For such highly placed individual who rank number three in the hierarchy of Nigeria's political ladder to cry out for attention, then ordinary people whose personalities do not weigh much on the scale of importance should be in hiding in the days leading to elections. But to allay the fears of the citizenry, the former Inspector General of Police, Ibrahim Idris, says the police has improved tactics to beat thugs in their games. 
it might be true that we still have some challenges in the policing space as a result of the criminal elements adopting new methods to beat our strategies. The good news, however, is that as they are changing their models of brandy, we are equally changing our strategies to defeat them in the fight. Uneasy lies the hair that wears the crown and it is so with President Buhari on whose table the buck begins and stops on security matters. But how well he has done that remains a matter of opinion. Aisha Yesufu, a civil society activist, says President Buhari has interest only on his re-election bid, even as dozens of people are being killed across the land. President Muhammad Buhari, what kind of a leader are you? What kind of an insensitive leader are you? People are dying. All you care about is your re-election. People are being killed on a daily basis. There is a leader who does not care. You have denied the people of Nigeria all the things that made you what you are today. If the insecurity we have today was during your time and the people who were leaders did nothing, I don't think you'll be here today. Why are you killing Nigerians with your lack of action, your lack of competence, your lack of character, and your cluelessness? The need for security is one of the reasons that agencies have been set up to take up the job of watchdog to the people. The new Inspector General of the Nigerian Police, Mohamed Adamu, gave a rundown of action that will keep talks and miscreants at bay. I'm not unaware of the possible security threat that some misguided political actors and their followers may attempt to pose during the general elections. To such elements, I must send a note of warning that as a nation, we have had enough of electoral violence. Hence, while the Nigeria police under my watch shall work with the independent National Electoral Commission and sister security agencies in guaranteeing a peaceful and secure space for all political parties and the citizens to freely exercise their electoral rights, we shall not hesitate to identify, isolate, and bring to deserve justice any person or group that attempt to threaten our sacred democratic order. And to keep safe during campaigns, the Senate President Bukola Saraki took time out to admonish all who are involved in the next election on what should be done. The 2019 elections are just a month away and everyone in the political value chain should therefore do nothing that could raise tension in the country. Nigerians are looking up to leaders who douse flames that have potential to threaten the peace and well-being of our country. Everything must be done to ensure a free and fair elections. To all Nigerians, I say this, we must have a country after the elections when the polls have closed and the elections are over. Ultimately, the Nigerian people have the right to choose who will represent at all levels. It is not a do-or-die affair. Sounding a note of warning, Mohamed Adamu says the police will cripple all threats to the smooth conduct of February 2019 elections. To the unrepentant felons that may want to put our common will to test, in securing the law-abiding citizens during the elections, we shall not hesitate to deploy our potent assets to deal firmly and decisively with electoral deviants. The die is cast, and the music has begun from public address systems of political parties and candidates seeking electoral successes as they continue with campaigns. Why this is normal? The security agents must be quick and willing to spot and arrest all violent situations so as to make this a success beyond the level of 2015 elections. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News.
across the globe every second there's always a breaking story Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa Reporting for Channel Africa I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time George Muhango Channel Africa Blantyre Reporting for Channel Africa this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa. It is SA, it is info rather at channelafrica.co.za. That's info at channelafrica.co.za. You can also tweet us on Channel Africa 1 if you want to give us any feedback on anything that you hear right here on Channel Africa. Your time is 17.30 Central African time. On Nzinzi has your news headlines. Human Rights Watch has slammed the African Union and SADC for their deafening silence in Zimbabwe. An investigative journalist from Ghana who was involved in exposing corruption in football in the football industry in Ghana has been killed in the capital Accra. And U.S. Ambassador in Kenya says the United States is working closely with Kenyan authorities following the extremist attack in Nairobi this week. Channel African News, I am Onilin Sinsi.
8.17.31 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Let's go to Zimbabwe now where the crisis in Zimbabwe coalition is calling on African heads of state to intervene to stop what they say are human rights violations in Zimbabwe. Citizens have been protesting this week following an announcement of a petrol price hike by President Emerson Mnangagwa. The coalition says a conversation led by the Southern African development on Zimbabwe. His future is needed. For more on this, we're now joined on the line by Crisis in Zimbabwe Coalition's Regional Coordinator, Blessing Vava. Hello and thank you very much for joining us, Blessing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, let's start with that lead item on, on LA's uh, news headlines there. Human Rights Watch uh, criticizing both SADC and the African Union and silence on Zimbabwe. What's your take on that? Well, from, from our end, we are not necessarily uh, criticizing uh, Sadiq or the African Union, but we're actually acknowledging uh, the role that they have played uh, previously in as far as solving the crisis uh, bedeviling our country's concern. Uh, I can take uh, the listeners back uh, to 2008 when Zimbabwe was almost in a similar situation, you know, the economy collapsed and the disputed election uh, in, uh, in, in 2008. And we had uh, Sadiq taking a proactive role in trying to, to bring everyone together and providing uh, a platform for dialogue uh, for, for, for Zimbabwe to, to chart the way forward for, 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 for the future of the country. And in, in, in that end, we ended up having uh, the government of national unity that uh, had uh, President uh, Robert Mugabe and the late uh, Prime Minister Mugabe Tsangai. So it is again that, that uh, background that we firmly believe and we are still convinced that Sadiq uh, uh, has a role to play, the African Union has a role to play uh, in as far as uh, uh, trying to initiate uh, a national and all-inclusive uh, national dialogue for our country. Um, some efforts that we have done uh, as an organization, uh, last year in October, uh, we went to, to sit down with uh, the Sadiq chairperson, who is the president of Namibia, uh, President Heinfeld. Uh, and we laid out uh, uh, some issues that we felt that uh, they should be brought uh, to the agenda of Sadiq. And uh, uh, he promised us that uh, he's going to take those issues uh, for discussion uh, on the agenda of Sadiq. But chiefly, uh, we reiterated to him that uh, the failure by Sadiq or the failure by, by the regional body and uh, you know, the countries that are uh, in Sadiq in general, uh, their failure to solve or to try to find a solution in what's happening in Zimbabwe it would lead to uh, what we are seeing now. We even predicted that uh, if we, that situation is left unchecked, if, if it's left unresolved, it was going to lead to what we are currently having. And the potential danger of that is that it's going to create a humanitarian uh, crisis in the region. Uh, already, there are Zimbabweans that are floating. Uh, uh, to South Africa, Zimbabwe, that are flocking uh, to Namibia, flocking to Botswana, running away from uh, the brutality that is at home, running away from the economic hardship that is happening at home, and already it creates a crisis. Mm. Um, and uh, do you think that it could have been averted had um, President Hagegain Gobe acted swiftly and listened to your pleas um, back then? Do you, uh, th- this was, I believe, in um, no, in October, November last year. Yes, uh, precisely. Um, what is lacking in our country 
uh, is dialogue. And uh, from a country that came from a coup, uh, the first thing that happened was a military coup, which uh, we feel that was uh, illegal, which we feel that was unconstitutional. Uh, uh, people celebrated on the streets, though, blessing. Um, there were visuals beamed to tele- on television screens all over the world of people celebrating on the streets of uh, major cities in Zimbabwe as that had happened. Well, you see, people celebrating. People were celebrating for for different reasons. Others were celebrating that Mugabe had gone, but not necessarily looking at uh, what the future holds. You know, Zimbabweans had been oppressed a lot. To the extent that uh, people didn't care who, who would take over, people just didn't want to see Robert Mugabe. But as an organization, we didn't feel that way. We actually released the statement as soon as uh, that uh, coup happened to say that it was illegal and it had set a wrong precedent for our country. Because us as an institution, we believe in a democratic transition. We believe that leaders have to be elected by people. We do not believe that leaders should come through the barrel of a gun. That is why. Even before the election, we reiterated uh, to, 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 to the government, we reiterated even to, to Sunday, we called upon uh, even to the Electoral Commission that uh, Zimbabwe had to go through some set of uh, reforms, the political reforms, you know, economic reforms, security sector reforms, and uh, make way for uh, a sort of a transitional authority that was supposed to take the country to an election, but we didn't believe that the election was supposed to be held just after we had the coup. Going back to, to, to the elections, uh, the elections were very much disputed uh, with allegations of uh, you know, vote rigging in some areas of the country. The result ended up uh, being contested in the Constitutional Court. And that on its own created a crisis. And from that time, Zimbabwe has not moved. Zimbabwe has been on hold because of, uh, you know, this political dispute that is also uh, uh, not allowed the, the economy to function properly and uh, not allowed the government to function properly. That is why Zimbabwe is in a mess that we are in our economic crisis, largely because there is a political legitimate crisis that is also facing the, pre- the government of President Emerson Munangal. He's not in the country or hasn't been in the country this week. Um, what do you make of that? Uh, it's quite shocking, uh, if I should say, uh, insensitive and uh, irresponsibility on the part of uh, President Mnangagwa because uh, all these issues that are happening now, uh, they were brewing. Uh, we had, uh, the previous week, we had, uh, you know, teachers' unions, civil servants threatening uh, to just stay away. It was not just uh, something that happened on Saturday because of the full increase. The full increase only triggered what was already uh, issues that were already, you know, brewing in our country, the end that was brewing, uh, mainly because of the economic uh, crisis, because of the fuel shortages, and also because of uh, you know, the strike by, by the medical personnel, the doctors, you know, strike for almost a month. Uh, it, it was also because uh, of, uh, you know, uh, lower salaries that uh, a majority of uh, the working class people in Zimbabwe any. So for me, uh, having President Mugabe, sorry, President Mugabe leaving the country, uh, burning, uh, it is quite shocking. And uh, to add an insult to injury, he had to release uh, a statement uh, uh, while he is still there in Europe, but uh, without showing any agency. Uh, if I was him, I would have quickly gone back home to address the issues that are happening. But, you know, people were shot at, people were killed, 
and um, uh, people were injured, you know, quite a lot of things, abuses that has been happening in the country. And they needed the attention of the president. What kind of a president will keep on, you know, with such a trip when your country is burning, when your people are crying? Uh, and right now, uh, uh, to make it worse, even worse, they have blocked, uh, uh, you know, internet uh, uh, services. So that, uh, and, and that on its own. Uh, you know, freedom of expression and also access uh, to information for millions of Zimbabweans. Mm. Um, and when he returns home, as he will at some point, what would you like to see him do? I think, uh, first of all, he is to admit uh, that he has let the country down, he has to admit that he has let uh, the people of, of Zimbabwe down, and he has to show leadership. Showing leadership is by means of uh, uh, withdrawing immediately uh, the soldiers that are on our streets because we feel that their deployment also was unconstitutional. Secondly, we want the restoration of uh, civil liberties uh, for the people of Zimbabwe. And thirdly, uh, we must see President Mugabe, he must show contrition and try to reach out, uh, not just to reach out to the opposition, but try to reach out to all the sections of society. Here I'm talking of as Zimbabweans and uh, having an all-inclusive national dialogue to say we are sitting down as Zimbabweans, we are sitting down as political parties, we are sitting down as churches, we are sitting down as, uh, as students, we are sitting down as farm workers to chart a way forward for our country so that we move out of the economic quagmire that the, car- the country is currently in. Uh, Zimbabwe has been going through political crises um, for about 20 or so years now. Uh, do you see these getting better anytime soon? There was hope that things would change about a year ago when um, President Robin Mugabe finally stu- uh, stepped down. I think those who had hope, uh, uh, they were just blinkered. How do you have hope when with a government that has come through a military coup? Uh, that on its own signaled the death of democracy uh, for our country. And uh, what we now have... Elections uh, were held, though, um, a few months later, were they not, Blessing? Uh, yeah, come on. The conditions of having the elections had not changed. Remember that all the elections that we've been having, they were disputed elections. Even the opposition, when they entered yes. those elections, they had a set of demands that they wanted them to address. And after the thing said, we laid out the point of, uh, of, of departure to say these issues must be addressed. In fact, they let, we, we even say, went further to say that we don't believe that the elections that we are, we are going to have will, will uh, 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 make sure that they have expressed, uh, you know, what uh, Zimbabweans are feeling, the wishes and uh, uh, of, 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 of the will of the people of, of Zimbabwe. We felt it. Why? Because... The Electoral Commission itself, or the composition of the Electoral itself, is quite dodgy in that uh, uh, the, the personnel that uh, are running the elections in Zimbabwe are chosen by the president. And there are a lot of military, uh, serving military personnel who are also part of uh, the election management body in Zimbabwe. So to say that there was hope, I think that, uh, is, uh, that uh, we, are, we are not being fair to ourselves. Uh, now, the president, President Nangakwa, that is, um, is signing mining deals and trying to woo investors to come back to Zimbabwe. You don't think that's going to help the economy at all and, and possibly um, alleviate uh, some hardship from the citizens? If I can get you back, we have heard of these deals 
uh, for the past 10 years. I don't know how many deals that have been reported that we have signed this $10 million deal, we have signed uh, this $100 million uh, deal, uh, but nothing has uh, been of, of fruition uh, ever since that he came. In January last year, I remember that he had a trip for, to, to China, I think, and we told of deals that were signed, that by the end of the year we'd start seeing all those projects uh, going on. But as of now, there's just been deals, deals on paper, but there's nothing on the ground. So uh, going forward, uh, I think that uh, uh, there is no serious investor who would come to a country to invest in a country, one, that shuts down the Internet, two, a country that uh, oppresses its people, that if its people uh, protest, you send soldiers uh, in the streets and to shoot. I don't think there's any serious uh, investor who would want to invest in a country that has so much abuses in terms of human rights, a country that uh, uh, suppresses its own people, a country that uh, uh, has high levels of corruption. As we have witnessed, uh, you know, many of these stories have been reported, we have been told of former ministers being arrested, but nothing has been done to those people. There's not, there has been a single conviction in as far as uh, corruption is concerned. So I don't think that there is any serious investor would be interested in investing in an environment such as the environment that Zimbabwe is currently having. The last unity government didn't quite work. What makes you think that a dialogue and possibly another show of unity would work? Come on, come again. The last unity government did not seem to work in Zimbabwe. What, what makes you think that another show of unity and this dialogue you're talking about is going to yield results? I think those who say that the, 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 the last coalition government did not work, uh, they don't know what was happening. But for example, I would tell you that uh, the unity government that time, it stabilized the economy. We didn't uh, have uh, you know, such issues of price uh, skyrocketing, uh, even the salaries. Uh, many Zimbabweans were at least happy uh, with uh, what the unity government delivered. And also, uh, though not perfect, the unity government managed to produce a constitution that Zimbabwe can still celebrate today, no matter the default of that constitution, to say that at least during this time we had uh, a new constitution. So there are some positives, that uh, more positive that the government of Mission has actually achieved yeah. than the time that Zanukis has been in power as a single political party. Yeah. All right. Blessing, Baba. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Blessing Baba there is the original coordinator at the Crisis in Zimbabwe Coalition. It's 17.45 Central African Time. Here's Tracy Bumgard. Thank you. Former Bosasa COO Angelo Agrizi has told the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture underway in Johannesburg, South Africa, that he pushed for a video to be taken of corrupt and illegal activities at the facility and management company to protect himself and come clean. Agrizi is continuing to give testimony at the Commission underway in Parktown, Johannesburg, He told the chairperson of the commission, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, that all government contracts given to Bosasa were almost all tainted with bribes and corruption. Agrizi says he asked former Bosasa Chief Financial Officer Andres Fantonda to take the video in order for him to later use it as evidence, as people who wanted out of the company were labelled as the enforcers of wrongdoing and would be eliminated.
the blame would be always attributed to those who had left. When I left, a lot of blame was attributed to me. Gavin Watson would never sign anything. He would tell you, I've never signed anything. You can't pin anything on me. And he would then sell you up. That is what motivated the video. I wanted to show you, and I wanted to tell the country yes. how easy it is to fall into this trap. Yes. South African Reserve Bank Governor Lesetje Ghanyaho has announced that the Monetary Policy Committee has decided to keep the repo rate unchanged at 6.75%. Last November's increase, which brought the repurchase rate at which the central bank lends to commercial banks to 6.75%, came despite weak economic growth. Ghanyaho was announcing the bank's dis- latest decision on interest rates after a three-day meeting of the Monetary Policy Committee he chairs. The MPC unanimously decided to keep the repurchase rate unchanged at 6.75%. The committee continues to assess the stance of monetary policy to be broadly accommodative. Monetary policy actions will continue to focus on anchoring expectations closer to the midpoint of the inflation target in the interest of balanced and sustainable growth. Egypt, together with the Export-Import Bank of China, have agreed to a $1.2 billion deal to finance a light rail system. The loan has a 1.8% interest rate and matures in five years. Transport Minister Hisham Arafat says $461 million would go to infrastructure and $739 million for trains. The rail link will be 68 kilometers long. The system is intended to partly reduce crowding in Cairo. Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa has met with Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko. Lukashenko told Mnangagwa that the hard times Zimbabwe is going through were inevitable and every country had to face them when trying to reform and enhance its economy and society. Mnangagwa's visit to Belarus is happening while protesters barricade roads and burn tires in Harare, in Harare on Monday, two days after he raised the price of fuel by 150% in response to the worst economic crisis in a decade. These protests are posing a major challenge for Mnangagwa's rule after he promised to repair the economy when he replaced Robert Mugabe in November 2017. The U.S. dollar is trading at 362.19 Nigeria Naira, 10.28 Botswana Pula, at 101.02 Kenyan Shillings, at 11.87 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.72 Brazilian Hale, 66.64 Russian Ruble, 70.95 Indian Rupee, 6.76 Chinese Yuan, and 13.70 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,292 and platinum at $802 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $61.10 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Thanks, Tracy. Network Chairman has a sports news.
Thank you, Spumalele. A very good evening to you all sport fans. Starting off with tennis news. Seven-time winner Serena Williams beat Canadian Eugenie Bouchard 6-2, 6-2. In one hour, 10 minutes, to book her place in the Australian Open round of 32. That was her 83rd win in the Australian Open. This is how she reacted to her win. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy match tonight. Jeannie has been to the finals of Wimbledon and you know she's been to the semifinals of other Grand Slams, so I know that, all right, Serena, you got to come out hot, you got to come out firing. I mean, she's a really good player, so... Um, yeah, I haven't had many matches since last year, but it's okay, you know. <laughs> I got time to spend um, with my daughter, so that mattered the most to me. Six-time champion Novak Djokovic is to pass to Joe Wilfred Tsonga, 6-3-7-5-6-4 to reach the Australian Open round of 32. Djokovic has now won 22 sets in a row in Grand Slams. Yeah, it's certainly... Certainly, uh, you could feel tension on the court, you know, from the beginning, uh, I think uh, we were going both through uh, a lot of emotions and uh, trying to keep the focus and, and, and start off in the best possible way. Um, I thought I played uh, pretty well for a set and a half. I served for the second set and I, uh, he played a great game. I managed to re-break in the next game. I think that's, uh, that's something that gave me, I guess, uh, more confidence in the third. But it's always play, tough playing uh, Joe. You know, he, he struggled with injuries in the last 12 months, but, uh, you know, ranking doesn't do justice for him at the moment. He's, he's always been uh, a top player. Next up for the six-time champion is an intriguing matchup with Canadian team Denis Shapovalov. On to netball news. Bongiwem Soni, captain of South Africa's national women's netball team, says the spirit in camp is high ahead of their clash against England in quad series on Saturday. The Spaproteas have been hard at work and would not want to drop the ball when they face the England Roses at the MS Bank Arena in Liverpool, England. Here is captain Bongiwem Soni. We in London now just finished our first training session for the day. Um, really working hard at training, we're trying to fix um, where we went wrong against Australia and yeah, we're pumped to go hard against England. So looking forward to the 19th. In hockey news. Namibia's national women's hockey team will face a tougher challenge to qualify for next year's Olympic Games at the final qualifying event in Spain in June this year. After winning the African Open Series in Zimbabwe in December last year, where they beat Zimbabwe and Zambia, Namibia booked a place in one of three final qualifying events for the Olympic Games. Namibia's qualifier will take place in Valencia, Spain from the 19th to the 27th of June, where they are the lowest ranked of the eight teams who will battle it out for qualifying sports for the Olympics. In field hockey, Namibia is only ranked 60th in the world, while they will have to compete against Spain ranked 7th, South Africa ranked 15th, Italy 17th, Belarus 20th, Canada 21st, Wales ranked 26th and Thailand 28th. A Ghanaian undercover journalist has been shot dead as he drove home after a politi- politician called for retribution against him. Local media reports say unidentified men on motorbikes shot Ahmed Hussein Swail three times in the capital Accra. He was a member of the Tiger Eye Private Investigations and had investigated corruption in Ghana's football leagues. The undercover report on cash gifts led to a lifetime ban for the former head of Ghana's Football Association.
Football's world governing body, FIFA last October banned the former Ghana FA boss, Kwesinya Dagi, for life and fined him nearly 500,000 US dollars after he was seen on camera accepting bribes. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. Stay tuned for programming news and sport from an African perspective. Sport, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. This is Africa Digest. Recapping our top stories, a South African lawyer says the delay in prosecuting the suspects linked to the murder of the former Rwandan intelligence boss shows there's been a cover-up of evidence. The 2019 World Report says Africa is rising against a and weak government. And that wraps up Africa Digest for today. For myself, Pumela Lezondi, producer Luanda Mahomet, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team, thanks for listening.